Oh, that every 19-year-old in America be on fire for Christ like this. <laughs> when I was introduced to Ed and Ed Cash, and I must admit I'm not in the music world, but these people told me what a giant he and his family are in music, and, and I discovered that they've written all the songs that we sing here on a regular basis. Right, Paul? <laughs> Not only that, but the one thing that resonated in my heart, he said, this is the godliest family you'll ever meet. And I can see that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ed, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We're going to do great things for God together. He writes a song to minister to his wife's need. Then God uses it to minister to millions around the world. I've heard that song sang in England, Australia, all over the world. So thank you. Father, we rejoice in raising young people as we see with Ed's children and family and brother. And Lord, I pray you'll bless them and that you will protect them from the evil one because there is no doubt he would love to throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit in them. And Lord, I pray that you'll open our spiritual eyes this morning. Perhaps there is no greater prayer that I can offer on behalf of my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning than to ask you in the name of Jesus and in the power of the blood that you would open our spiritual eyes to see amazing truth from your Word. And I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. How do you react <clears throat> to the growing tide of the anti-Christian tide in our country today? How do you react when you hear that there are even some Christian students who are keeping their faith secret on campus because they don't want to be persecuted? I don't know how you react, what your reaction would be when you hear that Christians are falsely accused of being bigots and unloving and homophobes and racist and irredeemable. Now, Judging from the response I see on the social media, there are two kinds of responses. There, is a, there are those who shrug and say, well, you know, that's just, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, Michael, just give up. Nothing we can do about it. Others say, well, it's prophesied. And then the other reaction is it in anger, and they want to respond in all sorts of ungodly ways. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. Both of these reactions are in the natural, not in the supernatural. And furthermore, reacting in the natural does not distinguish the believers from the non-believing world. But we are called to live and function and walk in the supernatural, not the natural. Someone said to me after last week's message in the beginning of the series, it is supernatural, and says, living 
in the supernatural, in this increasingly nature-worshiping culture, is impossible. I said, absolutely without Jesus is impossible. Of course. But if you are truly a child of the living God, then you must know that it is your birthright to live in the supernatural. It is your birthright to live in the supernatural. And just before you think I'm making this stuff up, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter, page 1893 in the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own iPhone or iPad or whatever, just follow with me. 2 Peter, I'm going to just give you that foundational, biblical foundational principle here. Hear what the Word of God said. His divine, His divine, His supernatural power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glorious glories and goodness. Look at verse 4. Through these, de- through these, He has given us, watch this, He has given us His very great and precious promises. Here's the purpose clause. So that through them we might participate or be partakers of the divine or the supernatural nature of God in order to escape the corruption of this world. Here's what the Word of God telling us in the New Testament through the Apostle Peter. We are given the gift of being able to participate, to being partakers, to be part and parcel of the supernatural. Throughout this particular series of messages, it is supernatural. I want to remind you again and again until you get sick of me. I am going to emphasize it over and over and over again about your divine birthright. Spoiler alert. Houston, we have a problem. And we have a huge problem. Many of God's people have either abandoned their birthright or they are ignorant of their birthright. And that is why, beloved, there are professing Christians and professing pastors who are living in the natural. In the last message, we began to compare the time of Elisha, and the reason why I chose this particular time in history, to compare the time of Elisha with our time. Why? Because it was a period of time in the life of Israel when the vast majority of the Israelites have abandoned their birthright. They lived and they functioned and they worshiped at the shrine of the natural. We saw in the first lesson that God was trying to teach His people to wake them up to the supernatural birthright that He gave them when they crossed that Red Sea. The man of God was teaching them that for faithfulness, for faithfulness, even though the man was dead, his widow and his children turned a drop of oil into an oil factory. And today, we see something that will make you want to walk out of here on cloud nine. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. I had a one-man revival just preparing. (laughs) And so I pray that God will revive our spirit afresh and awaken us to the supernatural birthright that He has given every born-again believer. Elisha was a man who stood 
who understood, but he stood against the natural current of culture. Elisha was a man who refused to abandon his spiritual birthright. Elisha was a man who wanted his contemporaries to ab- not to abandon their spiritual birthright. He was God-centered. His life's purpose was the glory of God. His authority was the Word of God. His goals, life goals is to please God. And that is not surprising, therefore, that he met a lot of opposition. You start living in the supernatural, and you watch out, the enemy is going to go mad, and he's going to attack you. But praise God, he's already defeated. Make, amen. Give God glory, not me. Make no mistake about it. God's Word tells us, through Paul saying it to Timothy, that anyone who lives a godly life, anyone who lives a godly life, anyone who lives in the supernatural, anyone who refuses to be sucked in by the natural world will be persecuted. Not maybe, but will be persecuted. Try to take a step of faith, and he will go after you. Peter asked the question to the believers who are in Rome who are being persecuted, why are you so surprised at this persecution, at this fiery ordeal, as if something new or something unusual happened to you? Now, you heard David ably read the passage. I want you, have your Bibles open. I want you to look at me. I don't do this very often because I, I, I don't want to turn your stomachs. Uh, <laughs> But look at me just for a little bit here, because whether you're 90 or 9 years old, I want to summarize this for you to understand it and comprehend it as a story, as as, as a narrative. Here's what was happening. The king of Syria, when you hear Aram, that's another word, another term for Syria. The king of Syria is forever plotting to attack Israel. And beloved, listen to me, Satan is forever plotting to attack you and your family. Elisha the prophet has been exposing these terrorist plots on the part of the king uh, of Syria before they happen. He is exposing them. Consequently, the Syrian army is getting clobbered every time they get clobbered, every time they get defeated, every time the plot is foiled. And that enraged the Syrian king, to say the least. Every time he made a plan to attack the people of God, that plan got foiled. And the king of Syria was getting madder and madder and madder. The first thing occurs to him, the first thing he thinks about is, we have a mole in the palace. Uh, We have a spy in the palace. We have a deep state in the White House. And so, one of his national advisors, security advisors, must be leaking to the press. And the word gets out before it happened. So, he convenes this meeting in the situation room. Situation room is so protected, secret apparatus, all they're sitting there were all the generals. They were sitting and they're ready. The king was ready to shoot the culprit. They were not meeting just to discuss. He was ready for revenge. One of his advisors, a courageous guy 
who dared to speak because he could literally risk his neck, but he dared to speak. He said, let me tell you what is happening in Israel, king. Uh, There's a man of God in Israel. King, there is an Alexa device in your bedroom. (laughs) And listening to everything you say. King, there is a spiritual bugging device throughout your palace. King, the God of Israel, is the God of power and might, and He has access to all of your emails and your text messages. King, the God of power and might, is for forwarding all of your emails and text messages to His man, Elisha, who's in Israel. <laughs> oh, King, the God of Israel is on your tail. The God of Israel has access to all of your secret correspondence. The God of Israel has his man, Elisha, with advanced knowledge of all of your plots. And furthermore, King, our God, the gods of nature, are no match for Yahweh. Baal is trying to help us out, but he's no match for Yahweh. Baal is totally useless before before Yahweh. Baal is no match for the God of power and might, the God of Israel. Now, beloved, listen to me. There is a very important principle here. I don't want you to miss it. I beg you before God, don't miss it. You see, the devil uses his foot soldiers against the true believers. The devil is forever plotting and scheming against God's people. And if you don't believe this, you haven't read the Scripture lately. The devil is trying to mislead and misguide and distorts the truth about God to God's people. The devil is forever trying to destroy the righteous. Oh, but all of his plots will be foiled. All of his plans will be doomed. Uh, Satan tries to get God's children to retreat from the battle, but he and his cohort will be totally annihilated soon. Uh, Satan uses some misguided people to inflict damage on God's people. But he's all bark and no bite. Because on the cross, Jesus knocked his teeth out. And furthermore, Satan knows that his doom is near, that his demise is clear, and that his destruction is about to appear. And that is why he's stirring up trouble against the anointed one right now. He's stirring up trouble, seeing it everywhere we turn. He's stirring up trouble. So what does the, na- the, the nature-worshiping king of Israel do? What, what, I mean, he, he, he worships the God of nature. What does he do? Of course, he thinks naturally. He thinks in the natural realm, just like we're seeing people in our secular pagan society today. He sends a large team of special ops. These are the green berets of Syria. And he sends them out in the middle of the night (laughs) to bring one man, one man, the entire army of Syria to get one man. I used to have a very precious friend in, in graduate school in California from Asia, and because he can't pronounce the L, and one of the time he says, lots of luck, he'll say, lots of rock. 
And that's what I want to say to this guy, Rots of Rock, buddy. Rots of Rock, boy, big boy. Please, 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 please think, think with me about the foolishness of the natural mind. If God revealed the secret plots to Elisha, will he not protect him from being abducted? Hello? Yeah. Beloved, listen. I may be a voice crying in the wilderness. Sometimes I feel I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, but I'm going to keep on crying until the Lord takes me home. Here's a fact. Listen to me. Listen, believers. When you are under the cover of the Almighty, you will be protected. When you are under the shield of faith, you will be victorious. When you are under the shadow of El Shaddai, you will emerge stronger than before. Look at verse 13, 613. Secular paganism can never see beyond the veil because, you see, listen to me, there is a veil beyond which only those who love Jesus, those who are intimate with Jesus can see. It's beyond the veil, beyond the secular. That's what secular means, this natural world. That, that they cannot see beyond the veil. And the tragedy, the tragedy that makes me weep at times is that so many of God's people have ceased to seek to look beyond the veil. Peter said we are participant in what nature? Oh, come on now. We are participant in what nature? We are partakers in what nature? The divine nature. So many of God's people today are contented to live in the natural. So many of God's people today refuse to claim their spiritual birthright. But even so, I want you to just think logically with me. Just think logically. If God reveals His secrets to those who fear Him, Will he not protect them eternally? Hello? Here's the problem. We don't understand that this is the family secret. It really is. Not everyone can comprehend the family secret. So please do not try to explain it to them until God opens their spiritual eyes. The secular, natural mind people can never comprehend the supernatural. The secular, pagan, natural mind can never understand the power of the supernatural. The secular, natural mind people cannot fathom the realm of the supernatural. They cannot understand what it means that the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him that the secret of the Lord is with those who are daily in daily intimacy with Him, that the secret of the Lord is with those who have surrendered themselves totally to Him. Listen, make no mistake about it. Satan's motive, just like the king of Syria's motive, is to destroy the faithful. That's not a secret. Paul said of his devices, we're not ignorant. Satan's motive just like the Syrian king, is to undermine the confidence of God's people 
in their God. And that is why he is working overtime right now on the so-called Christian leaders. He is working overtime right now, and he's causing so many of them to fall like flies. It seems, at least to me anyway, that there's not a month that goes by without some famous preacher fall, some famous singer abandon the faith, and Satan is laughing in his sleeve. What is he doing? Listen to me. He's undermining the believer's confidence in God. Let me remind you again about this time in Israel, in this period of history, and I want you to let your imagination run wild with our time. Israel was not a godly nation at that time. Israel was not fearing the Lord at that time. Israel had been compromising their faith at that time. Israel has been unfaithful to Yahweh. Israel has abandoned the authority of the Word of God. Israel has forgotten its godly heritage. Israel has been running after the gods of nature, just like so many in the church today. Does this sound familiar? Oh, but listen, listen, listen. God is looking to bless the faithful. He really is. God is looking to use the faithful. God is looking to the faithful minority. God is looking for the few who are fearless, who refuse to compromise, and who are willing. Satan, like the king of Syria, he knows that if he can destroy the Christian leadership, the rest of it is going to be a walk in the park for him. Just a walk in the park. Try to destroy the Christian leaders and then the rest will take care of itself. And so the king of Syria sends mighty army to abduct one man. <laughs> one man. He sends the entire army in the dark of night to get Elisha. Why? Because like Satan, the king of Syria knew that if he could destroy the man of God, he could destroy the nation. Here's what happened. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Please don't miss it. Here's what happened. Elisha had an associate, an assistant. The Bible sometimes calls him servant, but he's more than that. He's supposedly to be his understudy. This man was weak-kneed. He had a divided heart, and he had love for material possession. We're going to see more of, of this man, Gehaziah. In fact, I skipped the first six verses of the chapter 6. So I'm going to come back to it next message for a reason. We're going to see more of Gehaziah, Elisha's associate. This man lived with Elisha. This man saw the hand of God working in Elisha. This man experienced firsthand God's deliverance, supernatural. This man observed closely the supernatural intervention of God in the life of Elijah. But it did not change him. It did not change him. I hear people say, oh, if we have miracles today, people would believe. Think again. Think again. I love what Jesus said. I love everything Jesus said. But it's the amazing thing that to me, when he tells the story of Lazarus and rich man, and make no mistake about it, these are real people. 
And the rich man did not end up in hell because he was rich. He ended up there because he was self-centered. I didn't even care for Lazarus. And Lazarus got to have this a, a huge space between them. But obviously, before Christ's cross, they were able to communicate with each other. The Bible talks about those in the Old Testament, when they die, they go to the bosom of Abraham. But this rich man now in torment of hell, he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, let him rise from the dead. If he rises from the dead, my brothers would believe, and they would not end up here in this place of torment. You remember what Abraham said? They have the Bible. If they don't believe the Bible, they won't believe even if somebody rises from the dead. This hardness of heart that we're seeing in our culture can only happen through prayer, fasting, intercession for God to open hearts, open eyes. Here's the good news. Satan and his foot soldiers often miscalculate. They will. Just live as long as I have and you'll see it. <laughs> they miscalculate. They miscalculate God's power. They miscalculate God's use of his faithful children. And that's why Paul reminds the Romans, he said, if God is with us, who can be against us? Say that with me. If God is... I pity the one who stands against us. I really do. Genuinely pity, not, not, not just words. I don't think it's a stretch. And I, you know I'm faithful to the Scripture. I never try to modify it in any way, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that Gehaziah, Elisha's associate, represents all of the professing Christians today, all of the smorgasbord Christians today, all of the compromising Christians of today. These are the folks whose heart melt before Satan's treachery immediately. They, they, it, Satan becomes belligerent, and they fear. Their heart melts like butter on the stove. And Elisha's assistant, Gehaziah, sees the Syrian army surrounding the town, and he falls apart. I mean, he was falling apart. He was terrified. His heart was melting, and he says, Oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord, we're dead, we're dead and done for. Call the undertakers. We're finished. That's a use of translation. That's what he meant. Now, my beloved, my beloved, my beloved, beloved congregation, listen to me. You are never finished until God says you're finished. Amen. I am never finished until God says I'm finished. <laughs> listen to me. Fear is not of God. Fear is Satan's primary tool against believers. Fear is an evil spirit that attacks believers. And if you surrender to it, he will have the upper hand in your life, and you don't want this to happen. Elisha said to his weak knee, Gehaziah, 
verse 16. Don't fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I want you to think with me, okay? Just think with me when you focus on this thing. Uh, probably Gehaziah was thinking, my boss has lost his marbles. He really has. Why? Well, he looks out the window, and he sees the Syrian chariots and the armament and, and soldiers all geared up for battle. <laughs> and he thinks, what do you mean those who are with us are more than those with them? <laughs> Can you look? Can you see? And nobody with us, buddy. Nobody's backing us. Actually, I am fond of telling. I'm fond of telling this particular episode of the Lone Ranger and Tonto. <laughs> now, parents and grandparents, promise me when you go home, tell your children. Okay, uh, bring them up to date. <laughs> I remember watching it back in the 60s in black and white in Sydney, Australia. I'm telling you, that's really a lot of spiritual lessons there. <laughs> I mean, Tonto is Indian. I guess modern lingo is Native American <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and they did everything together. He helped him get rid of the bad guys. He helped him keep the law, arrested rebels. And then one day in one of these episodes, both of them come in their horses and they look up from the valley into the mountains. Indians are everywhere. They're everywhere. Spears. I mean, sharp knives. They're surrounding the city. And the Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and he said, Tonto, we're in trouble. Upon, watch, upon which Tonto says, what is that wee white man? <laughs> this was the reaction of Elisha's assistant, Gehaziah. He was thinking of how you're going to defect and go to the Syrians and be one of them or pretend to be. He sees all of these powerful Syrian armies and he says, boss, Wake up and smell the coffee. Boss, stop living in fantasy land. Boss, be realistic. Boss, uh, get your head out of the clouds, boss. Uh, face facts. Boss, this is natural world, and we need to think naturally. Boss, uh, those who are worshiping nature are telling us that we only have 12 years left. <laughs> what? What they don't understand is that those of us who love Jesus, <laughs> 12 minutes would satisfy us. Amen. Amen. He can come back today. He can come back today. Listen, in case you can, I, I've been uh, in conservation before they were born. So I'm, I'm, I am not against conservation. I am all for it. My wife will testify to this. That's not the issue. The issue is where is your faith? In nature or in the supernature? Please listen. The darker it gets outside, the more emboldened we ought to be. 
Lift up your heads when you see the signs, because the day of your redemption is drawing nigh. Job saw his greatest vision under the worst of circumstances. Daniel was not saved from the den of lion, but in the den of lion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not saved from the fiery furnace, but through the fiery furnace. The apostle Paul wrote his greatest epistles in a Roman dungeon. The apostle John saw the glorified Christ and heaven itself while he was in exile. When it appears that the enemy has the upper hand, God's men and women see the unseen, believe the unbelievable, hear the inaudible, and think the unthinkable. Amen belongs here. And now, my dear friend, my close friends know this, but one of my greatest frustrations is when God, and has been through the last 45 years in ministry, when God shows me something and I try to explain it to others and they can't get it. Look at verse 17. Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open the young man's eyes so he may see. Beloved, this should be the prayer of everyone at the sound of my voice. That ought to be the prayer of every believer, not only for ourselves that he would open our spiritual eyes, but open the spiritual eyes of our children and our grandchildren, the spiritual eyes of the next generation, that he may open the spiritual eyes of so many people that we come across every single day, that God would open the eyes of the blind to the truth of his word. And the Lord immediately... Here's Elisha's prayer and answers it. And the eye of Gehaziah is open, the spiritual eyes. And poor old Gehaziah, he looks out there, and behold, the mountain was stacked with chariots of fire. <laughs> and what happened to him in his underwear is between him and his laundryman. Probably he was taken to the ER going like this. Remember this. Skirmishes all around us. But don't ever forget that we already have the victory. We already have the victory. Only the one who refuses to have supernatural eyes cannot see this. And so the band of Syrians, the last verse, ceased from coming to the land of Israel. The rest is really details, wonderful details. Don't miss it. Don't miss it because you see the grace of God. The grace of God. Instead of killing the Syrians, they fed them. There's something I want you to understand. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. People, I don't care who they are, people are not our enemies. Can I get an amen? amen? People, no matter what they say about us, no matter what they accuse us, no matter what they do, they're not our enemies. Paul said our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spirituality and the power in the heavenly places. Satan is our enemy. In fact, I really genuinely ache in my spirit over these people. I really do because knowing what eternity is awaiting them. And that doesn't make me hate them. It makes me love them more. 
Not long ago, I was sharing the gospel with one of my neighbors in the gym. We were talking, and then he saw tears coming out of my eyes, and he couldn't understand why. And I said, eternity is a very, very, very long God blind, the God of this world blinded their eyes. They can't see. The secret of the Lord with those who fear Him. Say that with me. The secret of the Lord. Can't even memorize a sentence. The secret of the Lord where? With those who? Beloved, there are only two kinds of people. Listen, I'm about to close. There are two kinds of people. Those who fear God, revere God, honor God, and those who are terrified of God. Only two kinds of people. They're terrified of the day of judgment. They don't even, they deny it because they're terrified of it. And if you're terrified of God or the day of judgment, you can reverse that now, today. And you can move from being terrified of God to fearing God, making Him to be your best friend in the whole world. Ask the Lord, open my spiritual eyes, open my family's spiritual eyes, open the eyes of those who are blinded by hatred, open the eyes of those who don't know the Lord. Would you promise me one thing? It's between you and God. As you walk down these aisles, these are all to call in this church. As you come to the Lord's table, will you make a decision that you will be your daily prayer? God, open my spiritual eyes. God, open the spiritual eyes, and then you can name them between you and God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your power and the power of the cross. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that he constantly filling us with His power, with His strength. Father, thank You that we are not left orphans, that we have a comforter, the paraclete, who's constantly willing to open our spiritual eyes. So, Lord, we cry it together. Let's pray it together. Lord, open our spiritual eyes. Will You do it? Lord, in Jesus' name. Stand and sing with us.